listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 179. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelan Levin and Pontus Beckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! I'm back! Finally! I'm back. Yay! Howdy doody. <laughs> okay, we, ju- we just discussed uh, before we started recording the show that uh, it's this this not gonna happen very soon again. Mm. That all three of us are together doing the show. So what the fuck has happened to us? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Life. <laughs> Life. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Right. Okay. How are you guys? I'm excellent. Talking about life. <laughs> yes, life is very good. I was away last week uh, on uh, vacation, driving the car with the family, visiting some friends. We went to a terrific party. We went to see her folks. And uh, then we came back a couple of days ago. And now mm-hmm. it's actually very lovely. It's a 22-23 degrees we have the pool outside it's it's a simple pool but it's still a pool is that an inflatable one no it's not inflatable but it's the one you you, you put it on top of the grass really ah, okay. uh, so, but, but it's about four meters in diameter uh, a, a round thing and it's big enough for for someone like me to use as well so it's it's good nice okay great but we missed you Mm, yeah, but I listened to the show. I think you did a good job. Thank you. It was really it was a long time ago since I, I heard the ESP without me being on it. And it was uh, it's always nice a nice experience. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that, uh, welcome to my world, but I just realized that I'm so far behind my, my uh, listening schedule that I haven't listened to a couple what? of the episodes. What? And that, that is... <laughs> yeah. How dare you! Uh, and it was it was much easier when I was the one editing them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for for a long, long time, it was it was great because I I was absolutely sure that I didn't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. What about you, Yelena? What's 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 new? What's new? No, not much. Any new any new skeptical groups around that that uh, you are about to uh, join or? No, no um, I'm keeping an eye on the local uh, Seattle skeptics, but I haven't, uh, I haven't been to any talks yet. No, mm. all right. Uh, sooner or later, you're going to have to uh, get in touch with um, Canadian skeptics as well in, in uh, Vancouver. Well, we actually might be going to Canada at some point in the next couple of months, so you know everything is possible. <laughs> how fun! How how much fun would that be if you were co- coming over to Canada where, when I'm there? Yeah, you could meet up. I think um, there are a couple of things that that are worth mentioning before we go into the segmented parts of the show, aren't there? Yes, 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 yes. There's one thing, very good news about uh, Brit Hermes, Mm -hmm. who we had on the show. She was a former naturopath and she realized that it was all nonsense and she uh, started to spread the word about that. She changed her career completely and... Of course, she was sued then by another naturopath called Colleen Huber. And uh, as we talked about before, Brit Hermes won the court case. The Australian skeptics organized a a crowdfund for covering the legal fees. And Brit Hermes uh, won the court case. 
But then there was the question, would it be uh, appealed? And the good news now is it was, was not appealed in time. So Colleen Huber probably realized she had, uh, yeah, she was absolutely wrong. And we knew that from the beginning, but uh, you can still create a lot of trouble for, for people by suing them. Anyway, the, the court case is closed. Colleen Huber uh, did not appeal and uh, it's over. So that is great. That's good news Brilliant. indeed. Mm. Mm. And uh, yeah, that, that must be a great relief. Good for you, Brit. Well done. Well yep. done. And I uh, hope it doesn't come to this anymore. Yeah. Well, here's hoping, right? Yeah. And I have more good news. Oh, have you? Annika uh, of uh, the ESP fame. <laughs> Annika of <laughs> Annika Reports. <laughs> I think, uh, I think it's safe to say that. that yeah, that yeah, exactly. She's of BBESB fame, yeah, yeah. She and Scott got married. Yay! Yay! Mazel tov, mazel tov. So Congratulations. She's no longer Annika Merkelbach. She is now Annika Harrison. It's good that we didn't call her segment uh, Merkelbach Reports, because then we would have to rename it. So it's still Annika Reports, and I hope she will get back with some other interviews in the future but the good news now is that she is married uh yeah but unfortunately as far as i know she's not going to be there at the european skeptics congress where she could have uh recorded a couple of interviews so we're gonna have to do it ourselves yeah but we will be there <laughs> uh, you and me uh Andras, we will be there yeah so. definitely with uh equipped with uh all the all the gear and uh oh you've got some very cool gear i i should try to catch up with you yeah yeah uh, but <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be difficult however the esc the european skeptics congress 2019 program is final and published Yay. yes that's a uh, really good yes. news so uh, if you haven't bought your tickets yet don't hesitate because uh, those tickets are valuable. And if you want to find out where you can find more and where you can uh, buy your tickets, go to esc2019.be. That's esc2019.be. That's the official website of the European Skeptics Congress 2019. Uh, and here is a useless piece of information. If you uh, Google ESC 2019, it comes up with the European Song Contest. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's why you need to have the right uh, uh, URL. So we will include it in yeah. the show. Yeah, if uh, this is confusing, uh, we just need to look at the, the former one, which was uh, EuroskepticsCon. <laughs> so yeah, branding think, is difficult, uh, people. Branding, branding is difficult, is difficult yep. and we are still learning. <laughs> and, <laughs> And we're still not there yet. So, uh, but uh, I think I think it's a very well organized website. It's uh, put together very nicely. Actually, the design is pretty cute. Yeah, so very nice. Go on the website, check it out, and and do buy the ticket. Yeah, yeah, it looks really really good. Yeah, um, I'm really sad I'm not going to be there, guys. But um, looking forward to your uh, impressions and reports. Absolutely, will be greatly missed. Um, I have. Uh, recorded an interview. I did record that interview while I was in Edinburgh, and I met up with uh, some of the organizers, two of the organizing uh, committee of uh, Skeptics on the Fringe, because it's coming up very soon. So Very cool. Yeah, we've got an interview in the bag, and uh, we're going to release it with this episode. Uh, what else? Is there anything else? I think that's it, isn't it? 
Okay. If that is so, then we are moving on to our regular segments. Starting with the one that's called This Week in Skepticism, and it's going to be presented, as always, by Yelena. Yes, so it's interesting because... Please leave, it, this... leave this in, Pontus. <laughs> it's interesting because <laughs> this week I want to talk to about somebody who was born on the day that I was born. Ooh. And it's not myself. Oh. Although I should have probably talked about myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, are you making a skeptic's history here? Or... <laughs> Every week? Every week? No, but I, I didn't know that, but... Um, and this person is a professor of University of College London. His name is David Cahoon. And he was born on the 19th of July, slightly earlier than myself, 1936. Mm. And <laughs> <laughs> that's where I used to work in University College London. I didn't know about that. But he was, um, he works for uh, a department that I wasn't working for. So and it's a huge university of, with 40,000 students. Anyways, his contribution was to general theory of receptor and synaptic mechanisms. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Sounds very clever. But anyway, he also was a great statistician and is a director of the Wellcome Laboratory for Molecular Pharmacology. So he's got all sorts of honor degrees, and, and he was elected as a fellow of the Royal Society. But the reason why I wanted to mention him today is because of his website. He used to run it quite regularly, but I think uh, lately he, he's not updating it as, as, as often. And it, it's called uh, DC, which... David Cahoon, DC's Improbable Science. And this uh, particular website, he basically treated as a blog, his own blog, where he talks about uh, pseudoscience and debunks pseudoscientific claims, particularly things like uh, homeopathy, any alternative medicine really, and managerialism. I had to look that one up. But uh, so <laughs> he's been running this website since 2000 mid 2000s sort of 2005 6 7 um and i think last entry was last year so i'm not sure what happened uh, whether he stopped because i haven't been following him unfortunately but uh, he's got a lot of stories interviews thoughts articles he also written about his um sta anti pseudoscientific stances in uh, english newspapers like telegraph Basically, he yeah he, he he was doing a great job, and he also discovered Twitter in two thousand and seven I think around that time, and he he realized how Twitter magnifies all voices, good mm -hmm. and bad I guess, but in his case you know his debunking of uh, scientific claim that obviously helped him spread the word, um, and he became addicted in his late years to this um, <laughs> to this tool, which he used for good obviously in this case. Yeah, uh, he got into trouble, uh, unfortunately. Initially, when he started his website, he got a complaint from one of the alternative medicine practitioners because he was um, criticizing their practices uh, in, an, in, a, in an article he's written. And uh, they were against the, him using words like gobbledygook describing the, uh, the uh, <laughs> practices, uh, etc. And so um, they... Initially, his blog was uh, 
part of UCL website, which is a very um, distinctive, uh, recognized brand in UK. Uh, as I mentioned, it's one of the biggest universities there. And uh, he was called to take his blog down because of this complaint by the provost, which was not a particularly great step, I think. Later on, the issue was resolved, but by that point, he moved his blog to a separate website that had nothing to do with UCL, and uh, he can he, he continue running it from a separate platform. Not a great outcome, I guess. So, uh, as I mentioned, the one of the things that he's against is something called managerialism. And basically, it's a belief that basically says that uh, professional managers have a great value. In fact, it's like the most important thing in any organization. Uh, therefore, various things have to be sacrificed to have great management structure, which is not very great because if if you think about his perspective, he worked in academia for many years. He observed the growth of managers in universities and the growth of uh, admin staff and the cost uh, to the detriment of the academic uh, staff. And it created these very unhealthy relationship uh, loops and also uh, unhelpful practices. One of the ways he, or one of the things that he observed was that universities started endorsing pseudoscientific degrees. And he has called those universities out several times uh, when he observed that in UK, um, a university would um, have a degree in um, integrated medicine or endorse homeopathic degrees, um, degrees that are related to homeopathy, because, of course, as we know, that's not a real medicine or there's no science behind these things. However, from the perspective um, of the managers running those universities, they didn't care about the um, substance. They only cared about bums on seats and paying uh, students. And so this is where his criticism of this managerialism coming from, which makes sense, I guess. And having worked in university, I can see the challenges from both sides, the academics and the uh, managers. So anyways, he's been doing great, uh, great work. I think he's very much still active on Twitter. Like I said, I'm not sure if he's updating his website as often as he used to. But um, for those who are, who are interested, uh, his blog looks really great uh, with lots of things to read about. And uh, yes, so he's somebody who yeah happens to be born this week. So there we go. Very okay. nice. Very nice. Happy I'm, birthday. I'm, happy birthday, yes. I'm impressed that he is, uh, you know, he's... He's 82 years old and he's still active and he's taking, you know, he's, using yeah. Twitter already in 2007. Seems like yeah. a great guy. Yeah, he's super. he was super excited about this new technology. And I think he might be one of the, the, the good examples of how technology enhanced somebody's uh, way of communicating and reaching out the wider audience, right? But I guess it always comes with the <laughs> downfall that, other voices are, are made louder by these things as well. And those are the, sure, the, yeah. the, sh the shouting irrational voices. So I don't know. Thank you very much, Ilana. Okie dokie. And we're now moving on to the next segment, which is when Pontus finally pokes the Pope again. Okay, so you got last week off, but now I'm back and I'm going to rant against the Catholic Church again. <laughs> <laughs> Not specifically about Francis this time, more about uh, uh, the Catholic Church and actually religion in general. 
And it's also actually an American story, but it illustrates how the church misused their power under the label religious freedom. So Mm. we are going to California for this story where there was a bill proposed for the state senate. It was called SB 360 and it got quite uh, some uh, publicity around it, but it recently failed to go through and to be approved. The bill would have removed an existing exception in the law in California, which means that priests who hear confessions of child molestation currently do not have to report this to the authorities. We Well, we all know how the, the whole idea of confession is that it's supposed to be just be you, between you and God. And, and, and then, of course, the priest has to be involved because God doesn't show up. But I, I get it. it. It doesn't work. If people think that they're going to jail if they confess to, to anything, uh, nobody would do it. Nobody would confess to the priest. And of course, that defeats the purpose of it. But that's not really my problem, is it? I mean, I'm more concerned about protecting people. The Archbishop José Gómez of L.A. mobilized uh, the opposition to the bill and gathered over 100,000 signatures. And in the end, the bill was withdrawn because it was obvious that it would fail, it wouldn't be approved. And now, of course, Catholics in California are are celebrating this outcome as a big win over the quote-unquote threat to their religious liberty. And that's what I want to focus on, the, the concept of religious liberty. A direct quote from one of the opposing senators was, and I quote, I want to practice my religion the way I want to, and I want you to be able to do the same, end quote. But that's not how the law works, is it? I mean, the law is supposed to be the same for everyone, regardless of religion. I don't care if you hold wacky beliefs or if you have strange rituals with your friends in private or even if you do it in public. That's that's none of my business. But if you want to be able to break the law because of your religion, that's a problem. If the law is you have to report this to the police... You can't say that you won't follow that law because then you claim to be above the law. And what you're saying is, I can do what the hell I want to because it pleases my made up sky daddy in heaven. And that's where we have to draw the line because where else can you draw the line? If I suggest, you know, let's take a preposterous example. If I suggest that ritual murder is part of my religion, no one would seriously say that I can do that. But you don't have to go that far either. You, just the other week, there was this guy in, in the UK who actually argued in court that he didn't have to pay his parking fine because he had just parked there to go to church. And that was his excuse. And that was enough, he, th- he thought, so he wouldn't have to pay his fine. And I think even the Arch- Archbishop of LA would find that stupid. It's, and that's just a parking fine. But how about protecting children from being molested by priests? Should that be above the law if you do it in the name of Jesus? I think not. I think that's fucking stupid. And uh, if the law is you have to report it, that's the law for everyone, even for priests. Mm. End of rant. End of rant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They, yeah, they want all sorts of privileges. They don't want to pay tax. They want all these um, yeah, other ways. And they, and they use this term, religious liberty, as if that gives you a free card to do whatever you want to. You, you're free to belong to any religion, yes. 
But you're not free to break the law. Yeah. Yeah. Or you shouldn't be. The but apparently in California, you still can. And this this is the very reason why why it's so important to have secular laws. Yes. So we have to have laws that are absolutely independent from any kind of religious body, any kind of religious group or their teachings. Yeah. It's the law of the land. Yeah. So the law of the land has to be secular. Yeah. Mm. Indeed. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. And I suggest before we move on to the news items that we have uh, collected for this week, let's listen to the interview that I recorded in Edinburgh with Heather and Mark Pentler. The good thing about being a traveling tour guide is that I can <laughs> I can pop up in several places where there's some very good skeptical activity. And I happen to be this time in Edinburgh, where uh, I don't think our listeners are not familiar with uh, with your activities, but uh, I'm sitting here in very nice lounge of a of a hotel with Heather and Mark Pentler. So, hi guys, good to see you again. Hello. Hello. Good. Good to see you again. Yeah, so it was a surprise and a short notice, but it's good to see you. Yeah, sorry about the short notice, but um, this oh, is no, yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to my life. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think I think the last time uh, we spoke was last year when I was here for the Fringe. You were kind enough to invite me for the Fringe, and it was very good. I really enjoyed it. But um, this time, Fringe is soon on again, which means Skeptics on the Fringe will be happening again. So, who's going to tell me a bit more about it? Well, it's been Mark's baby this year, so I feel like it's his duty. Yeah, it, it probably should be. So, um, yeah, we, we've just finished the lineup uh, re- recently, last couple of days, and uh, we're starting to get those events up now and uh, get that publicized and hopefully put it on a nice website for people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, a few selected highlights, uh, obviously, being my fringe, I put my own personal spin on it. So there's uh, more than a few talks about uh, space flight this year, which uh, is something I'm particularly passionate about. It's uh, the anniversary of Apollo 11, so uh, the very first talk, actually, is Happy Birthday Tranquility Base, which is all about uh, the moon landings and how it happened. And uh, I think, given that it's for a sceptical audience, uh, the uh, person doing that did say he'd throw a little bit of debunking of some uh, myths in there as well for us. So that should be a, that should be quite good. And uh, also, we've got some people coming back to us that we've we've had before. Um, people such as Richard Wiseman and Caroline Watt, who are both uh, big names in the field of psychology and parapsychology, and uh, also room for uh, Marsh as well. Some guys called Marsh. I, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Marsh, Marsh. Well, well, his name sounds familiar, but but, but um, tell me who he is. He, he's, he goes around hanging out with weirdos and telling us about them. Uh, that seems to be, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, inter- interviewing nutcracks, right? Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. It, he's going to be doing his flat earth talk for us, so I'm really looking forward to that. He spent more than enough time than should be healthy for anybody uh, with people who believe in flat earth conspiracy theories, so he's going to tell us all about that. Um, and uh, we've also got um, a couple of sort of more chemistry-based talks as well. I've, I've got a talk about chemphobia, which I'm particularly interested in, which yeah. for a lay audience of the public who may not know necessarily about things like how dangerous chemicals can be, how the dose of a chemical be, can be important compared to what the composition is, you know, um, that should be really good. And that's what we try and do during the fringes, those kind of talks to try and give the, the public a little bit more information about their, how to live their day-to-day lives. 
That sounds amazing, and and I do share your enthusiasm um, about uh, the the topic of uh, chemophobia. Getting back to uh, Richard Wiseman uh, for for one moment, I just learned recently that Richard Wiseman has a book out about the mentality behind this great thing that we sent people people to to um, to the face of the moon. So, is it what he's going to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. It's called Shoot for the Moon, that talk. I believe he's been uh, doing a few dates uh, around the country. I'm not sure if he's done any skeptic groups at all, but um, yeah, he, he's going to be doing that talk for us. And it's, it's I, 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 I'm not sure of the full details, obviously, until we see it, but I gather it's all about um, sort of how the brain works and how you, how you can almost sort of push your brain to do certain things. And obviously, the, in the context of what was a, a massive human achievement, yeah. um, you know, there's probably lots that we can learn for our everyday life in how we sort of achieve goals and uh, and have ideas and dreams and things like that. So that should be a, a particularly big highlight. And hopefully he'll sell some books and maybe sign some books for us as well. There. So that, that should be quite a nice night. Um, is it still going to be um, very uh, strict in terms of the, the timing of the talks? I remember from last year that you guys talked me, talked about, and, and even, even we experienced it, that... that um, there you have a very strict timeline that you you have to adhere to uh while while uh, organizing these yeah it's uh, very much a quick turnaround because there's a show on before us and there's a show on after us so we have to get in clear the room set up the room put on put on the presentation get any text set up make sure the lights usually we have to move the lights as well and all that within 10 minutes and then get the crowd in and then have everyone seated and get ready to go as quickly as possible. And sometimes we have to skip a Q&A if we are forced to because of time. This year we've bought ourselves a big clock, like you see sometimes <laughs> on some of the clips on TEDx. So we're going to have that hooked up for the back. So professional this year, so, so professional. So hopefully that will help keep us to time. And we're happy to let the other groups in the room use it. So that will keep them to time, which is usually the problem. Someone else overruns and oh, then yeah, that help yeah. impacts everyone. So we're hoping it will be a help for everyone. Now that we're talking about running the show, how many of you are there? behind the scenes i found it absolutely fascinating how well organized the whole thing is how 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 it it you, you guys keep it very smooth and it, it keeps moving so and but i understand it's a hell of a lot of work oh yeah it's very much like the duck on the water it might look calm on the surface but underneath we're all paddling and flapping and <laughs> panicking um there's four of us on the committee that are there all year round and then we try and recruit some volunteers we had our meeting the other day with uh i think we got about four or five people interested mm -hmm. so we try to have at least four to five people there on the night so we have one person to introduce some people one person to take care of the speaker another person to do queue wrangling maybe two on that and people flyering as well if we've got enough to drag mm. no people off the street into the, through the doors yeah I, i will say i think the 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 thing with this and what we do is that it's the 10th year that the group has done it um obviously all of us on the committee right now weren't around maybe four or five years ago um so we're very much kind of standing on the shoulders of giants in the sense that the a lot of the prep work has been done and a lot of the organization has been done and figured out before 
and we seem to have settled on a nice way of doing things year after year, working to the same sort of timelines you kind of have to when you're doing the fringe anyway. You have to get certain things ready for certain dates, otherwise you miss things like print deadlines and show application uh, deadlines. And uh, so th those are always quite uh, tricky. But we're, we're very um, lucky to have a dedicated sort of core membership that has been coming to the group for years and years who are very happy to dedicate their time uh, because they enjoy it and it's their community and you know when you see other groups that have one or two people running them and they're struggling to do 12 talks a year and then you think about all the things that we managed to do we would, really wouldn't be able to do it without them I don't think so how many how many talks will there be on 22 talks and one mixed night where we get a few acts from around the fringe and give them a chance to promote themselves. So there will be uh, 26 acts, I guess, in total. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could call it that. We usually get four for uh, for the for the mixed night. It's kind of like a cabaret thing, like the nerdiest uh, acts from around the fringe. And we've already uh, <laughs> got com confirmed um, uh, the music act Jolly Boat, who uh, do fantastic nerdy style songs about programming languages and pirates. <laughs> um, so uh, they will be kicking us off for that night that'll be on the 10th of august on a, a saturday night so it should be good fun and we'll uh, we'll try and find some other stand-ups or uh, people who who do science communication who may be doing something at the fringe and uh, yeah that's a, a chance to see what's going on around the rest of the city so i was going to ask uh what the dates are so uh, it starts on the 10th of august then uh, no, that's actually the, the second weekend. It starts on the on the, uh, the 3rd of August, which is okay. the Saturday, the 3rd of August, and uh, runs all the way through to the Sunday, the 25th of August. So that's 23 nights in a row for us to do. Um, and uh, I mean, we, we'll all get a chance to have days off, thanks to good rotor planning, hopefully. So we, sh we should be okay. We've also got additional talks this year. We are running an additional event in conjunction with the Royal Society of Edinburgh. So on the Saturdays... Uh, at 12 noon, mm -hmm. there is going to be another hour-long talk. It's someone who's appeared on the fringe at the rest of the time, so it's a repeat for our people, but it's a chance for us to meet a new audience at the Royal Society. So that will be an additional thing for us to work with as well. That is amazing. So, um, 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 Yeah, I already was quite amazed uh, by, by how you run things here. But uh, it sounds even more gr grandeur of a job than than the last year. So it's it's going to be wow. Um, so what do you expect? I mean, fringe obviously draws in a lot of people. In your experience, do a lot of people come in who are not who who, who don't self-identify as skeptics and they just uh, look for something interesting and they they see it somewhere hear about it somewhere or it's mostly skeptics do you see the same faces appear time and again uh we've got certainly repeat people um we met someone in the bar a few years ago who was friends of our friends from down south and they went oh you're the skeptics yes we've seen you around for the last few years so people seem to know us in the city but we tend to just sort of try and grab people with the title of the talk for that night and the subject for that night so we're trying to get anybody who looks a bit geeky a bit nerdy and sometimes people are just happy to have a change from comedy so i think that's what drags people in sometimes yeah i think definitely the talk titles help we i mean we, we try not to be clickbaity but unfortunately you kind of have to sometimes when you're trying to compete with you know 10 other shows on on the same street let alone <laughs> 
what's going on in the rest of the city. So, you know, we, we, we may well occasionally edit people's titles just to make sure that we've got the best possible chance of drawing in a crowd. And, you know, let's be honest, it, these things are very subjective. Sometimes different talks will pull in more audience than others. Um, we, on a few occasions, have had close to the often stated but completely false average fringe audience of eight so, you know, we, we have had that on some nights and then there are some nights where we have someone who's, you know, pulling in, uh, well, the room is basically 65 and occasionally our venue lets us use an overspill room with an, a live audio and video feed, which takes us up to about 110 uh, to squeeze. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the local fire brigade would be very happy, but that's not our fault. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's very much an up and down thing and you have the weather to contend with and so many other factors as well. But we, uh, we generally do okay and the split can be quite surprising sometimes when it comes to people we just pull in off the street versus people who have known about us for years, really. So we, we, we do okay in that respect. Also, we're trying to put information on the flyer for people who are tourists and are just visited in the city, so we give them information about skeptics groups around the country because they might might be the first event they've ever been to and then they wonder if there's one near home and then we tell them if that there is. So we try and get reach out to the whole community, not just for ourselves. Now that you mentioned things that you just uh, give people uh, on, out on the street, you just gave me something. It's a little card. Basically, it's, it, it's the size of a business card, isn't it? And... Uh, on the back of it, there are some very useful pieces of advice to people. So who wants to talk about that? What's, what's this and, and, and how do you spread the info? Uh, well, this is one of my baby ideas. So it was a way to get the business card out and give it more of a purpose. So we thought a fake news guide, given recent events, and might be useful and try and spread a bit of scepticism to the general public and make sure that everyone is aware of the things that we need to check for because I think at the moment scepticism is more important than it ever before because we do have all this spread of misinformation online and social media manipulation and things like that that we need to be cautious of so I think our rational voices need to be loud as possible at the moment. And, and it's a nice gimmick as well. I'm hoping that the people we've given it to have put it on their fridge you know and it's there as a constant reminder that you know perhaps worldnetdailynewsreport.com isn't the best source for the story that they're looking for. Yeah, and it's it's really refreshing to see uh, see something it's a it's a unique kind of uh business card. It it has the necessary information but also it gives you something else. So it might be an idea uh worth considering for for others out there as well who organize events. You Heather as as the mother of the idea, you you probably would not disapprove of anyone else no, using the same not. idea, right? No, no, of course not. Anyone's welcome to use any of our stuff. We're always <laughs> about making it better for everyone, not just ourselves. <laughs> open source scepticism. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, hashtag open source scepticism. <laughs> All right, um, before before we say goodbye, uh, would you like to mention anything else as uh, or, or highlight something that <laughs> yeah absolutely so uh, for anybody who is visiting Edinburgh or anybody who listens who is in the city and for some reason still doesn't know about us um, our, our venue for these talks will be the Banshee Labyrinth on Nidri Street which is uh, just off Northbridge in the Royal Mile and uh, it will be in the chamber room downstairs 
Um, I can't remember the venue number, uh, but that will be 7.20 p.m. Uh, for an hour, and that will be from the 3rd to the 25th of August. And if you're uh, not busy during the day and you'd like to come and see us during the day, that will be uh, Saturday lunchtimes at the Royal Society, and uh, that's on George Street, and that will be at 12 p.m. That will be uh, all four Saturdays through August, so that will be the, uh, the 3rd, the 10th, the 17th, and the 24th. I'd also like to mention as well, these shows are being done as part of the uh, PBH Free Fringe, which is uh, the uh, biggest and best free fringe, I think, uh, at the Fringe. Uh, and what that means is that it's free for us as performers to put the shows on, uh, but it's also free for you guys to come to as well. Uh, we take donations at the end of our shows uh, if you want to, but you don't have to. Uh, and it's the, the cheapest way to actually run a show and do something uh, without bankrupting yourself. So uh, we, we definitely should mention those guys because we, we, we couldn't do this and bring uh, skepticism and science to Edinburgh with, without them, really. All right. Well, good luck with all that. And I wish you a great success, a loud one at that, uh, with, with lots of uh, people attending the, the, the evening talks. And I'd like to thank you for, for joining me today. I, I understand yeah, that you are both busy, but you managed to find time to, to do this. So, Heather and Mark, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. And that means that we are ready to shed some light on a couple of news items that we have collected for this week. Yes, as we mentioned on episode 177... The French health minister, Agnès Buzyn, was expected to stop public funding for homeopathy in France following the recommendation of the HAS. And so she did. Very good news. So it's done now. Today, public funding is 30% of the cost, but it will be phased out to half of that in 2020, and then it would stop, will stop fully in 2021. Boiron, the French and the world's leading producer of homeopathy, is kicking and screaming, but I don't think there's a lot they can do. 60% of their total income comes from the French market, so this is a big blow for them. The question is, with the NHS in the UK having stopped public funding already, and now France, what's going to happen in Germany? which is the home country of Samuel Hahnemann, who invented this nonsense in the early 1800s. Well, actually, it looks like Germany may well follow. The German Ministry of Health, Jens Spahn, is following the French development very closely, and several members of the Bundestag, that's the German parliament, has publicly supported the idea of following uh, yeah, following the example from France. So uh, maybe... Well, that, that, that's good news, isn't it? Uh, it'll probably take a year or two or three. I don't know how f fast these things can change, but uh, it, it's going in the right direction. Yep, I agree with that. And um, I'm talking about going in the right direction. I think we can add one more to the list, and that's related to HPV vaccinations. Uh, this time, it's for boys. It may sound a little bit surprising because usually the context in which we discuss HPV vaccinations and HPV in general, it's connection to cervical cancer in women. And that is a very strong connection. We have to uh, mention that because um, normally uh, the sources agree that it's above 90% that two of the very frequently appearing strains of HPV uh, which is the human papillomavirus, 
can cause uh, cervical cancers and 90%, above 90% of the cervical cancers are caused by those two strains. So if we vaccinate against those two, then we can eliminate at least seriously decrease the risk of HPV and then developing cervical cancer. So it's a very important thing to do. However, because it's mostly a sexually transmitted disease, obviously we cannot disregard the role of male people in this problem. Uh, so even though uh, vaccination is given to women, not all of them will be vaccinated, of, uh, unfortunately. And the other thing is that if we don't vaccinate those who can also be the transmitters of these uh, viruses, then uh, we are just doing part of the job, right? Yeah, yeah. There are a couple of countries who are offering HPV vaccination to males as well. Uh, normally, the, the target age group is between 10 and 14 years of age. And that is because the, the most important is to vaccinate before the starting age of their sexual life. So that makes a lot of sense. It doesn't necessarily mean, though, that vaccination cannot be given to those who are already sexually active, because even if uh, some people, according to a couple of sources, including the NHS and um, the University of Oxford's uh, Oxford vaccine, vaccine Group and the Vaccine Knowledge Project, about 80% of uh, people do go through some kind of infection with HPV. So it does make sense even at a later age. It's a gynecologist that I, I recently talked to about this. Uh, not that I went to see a gynecologist, but he was one of my one of my tourists and we ended up chatting about HPV vaccine. That was very interesting and I haven't done my research on yet, but uh, it's, it's worth mentioning, I think, that some infections can uh, can happen without the virus actually getting into the bloodstream. If it's a surface infection, it might be that it doesn't have a long-term effect or a long-term infection. And that can mean that even for that strain, it's worth considering at least uh, vaccination. So it's a complicated issue. It's not very clear-cut and straightforward. The only thing that is straightforward is when we vaccinate, we can reduce significantly the risk of contracting the disease and then developing cervical cancer or other cancers for that matter, because it's not only uh, that type of cancer. So this is the other reason to vaccinate also males. So the NHS, the UK's National Health Institute, will expand the HPV vaccination program. It will now include boys as well from September 2019. That means that it will be financed by NHS and provided to children between the age of 9 and 15 in males and the age of 9 to 26 for girls. So it's a very good move and it should be followed by many. So, so far, the UK joins the other three countries, Austria, Croatia and Ireland, where even males are vaccinated. Well done, and I hope that many others will follow them. Absolutely. Good. Good news. Yeah.
And really, it's, it's, it's not only cervical cancer that this infection can lead to. So HPV is known to elevate the risk of different other types of cancer. Vaginal cancer, vulval cancer, anal cancer, cancer of the penis, which we don't hear much about because it's not very frequent, but it does happen. And um, even different cancers of the head and neck. If there is some risk and we can eliminate that risk, it's um, an absolute good situation to be in. Good. I've got some more good news on this um, note. Mm -hmm. And this time it is from Northern Ireland, so we're not going too far. Last week it has been announced that uh, MPs voted to extend abortion and same-sex marriage rights to Northern Ireland. Finally, the uh, fight around abortion in Northern Ireland has been going on for a while. And I think we might have mentioned it more than once, to be honest, uh, on, this, yeah. on the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, MPs have finally voted resoundingly to extend the uh, same-sex marriage and access to abortion. And they brought Northern Ireland in line with the rest of the UK on those two very, very important issues. Mm -hmm. historic moment really i'd say <laughs> yeah, yeah both of these decisions and both of these votes ha happened uh back to back within a little more than a quarter of an hour of each other <laughs> so pretty good now that i live in america the abortion actually remains huge controversial issue in america uh, as you might or might not know and it's going the other way here so um I know that New York and uh, California and those places are very much pro-abortion, but a lot of the country is uh, getting tough on abortion here. Yeah. Uh, whereas Europe is going the right way. But um, there you go. Although, you know, if you talk to people here, that the uh, legal abortion is the wrong way to go. So, you know. Hmm. There we go. Anyway. Great victory. And, um, yeah. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. All right, then I'll follow up with something that is not so very good news. The WHO, World Health Organization, has presented a big study of vaccination rates for children in countries all over the world, and the results are bad. Really bad, actually. Uh -oh. Overall, the global average vaccination coverage of diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis and the first dose of measles for infants has not changed at all in the eight years between 2010 and 2018. It is still at 86% as a global average. So the WHO calculates that in 2018 alone, 20 million children were born who did not get their proper vaccinations. That means one child in every 10 missed their vaccinations for one reason or another. The problem is, of course, more... Well, it's worse in relatively poor countries like Africa, for instance. But it's also bad here in Europe. Ukraine, who we know is the worst one in Europe when it comes to measles, has lately really tried and they increased the measles vaccinations for infants from just 56% in 2010 to 90% in 2018. So that sounds good and that's in the right direction, but we need to remember that you need to reach 95% to keep measles under control. And now when looking at those numbers, 56% in 2010, 
now we know why they have this uh, catastrophic situation in in Ukraine with uh, all the measles cases. And they're trying, but they're not there yet. And this is also, remember, we're talking about 90% of the newly born for the infants. You need 95% for the whole population. And in Ukraine... We know that since the vaccinations were so bad in the past, lots of older children and adults are still unprotected. And uh, yeah, so uh, no, it's it's not strange that they have these problems. Uh, Romania, which is the next worst country in Europe, has actually gone down in infant vaccination rates since 2010 from 95%. They used to be on 95% and now they're down to 90%. And overall, if you look at the whole world, the WHO say that there were 328,000 reported cases in 2018. And for the first six months only in 2019, it was 270,000. So if you double 270,000 to get for to 12 months, so you can compare it, you are arriving at 540,000 which is an increase of 64% year on year. So the this is not going away anytime soon, guys. Yeah, unfortunately not. Getting worse and worse, right? Yeah. So um, how many were the overall numbers, the measles cases last year? Last year, 328,000. Oh, God. And in the current rate, if we don't assume that it's increasing again, but it probably is, mm-hmm. but if we just extrapolate the first uh, six months we'll get 540,000 cases half a million more than half a million well listen it could even be worse it could be millions by next year yeah 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 okay let's not wait for that to happen um but the good news is there are some governments who try to do their job when it comes to vaccinations and uh, trying to tackle that problem and uh, one of those is the german government and uh, the German um, Bundestag, the, the federal parliament, just passed a law introduced by the, the, the federal cabinet that will make um, measles vaccination compulsory for um, all children by March 2020. I mean, it's better late than never, but it, it was about time. What will be happening is that uh, children will um, have to be vaccinated before they are admitted to either a kindergarten or a school. And it's an obvious choice because we know that those are the communities in which this, the spreading of the measles is the most apparent and is the most obvious that they are constantly in contact with each other. They cross, in fact, each other. So, so everything can happen. So this is why making it mandatory is very important. But it's not only that they would not be admitted to school, but if they violate the law, they can uh, get a fine of up to 2,500 euros. Wow. That is pretty good. The health minister uh, Jens Spahn uh, said that he is aiming for a 95% vaccination rate it's an ambitious plan, but it's not impossible to achieve. I wish the federal government of uh, Germany to, to be able to achieve that. Mm. 
And uh, obviously, because there are other people who already work in a nursery or a school or attend them, they will have to be able to show a certificate as well that they have been vaccinated. But there is a little bit of a delay in how it comes into the law, comes into force for them. It will be enforced on them as well or by July 31st, uh, 2021. So this is a response of the German government to the growing numbers of measles cases worldwide. Even Germany is doing pretty pretty badly. Last year, there were 543 cases reported. And uh, this year, uh, there have been 400 cases and uh, a bit more than 400 cases, which means that there is a significant increase in the numbers. Hmm. So it was a it was a very timely action to take by the German government. Yeah. It's the second time this uh, episode we mentioned Jens Spahn. First he's <laughs> first he's looking into uh, taking away the funding for homeopathy and now he's introducing these uh, mandatory me- measles vaccinations. So I don't know too much about him but um, good on him. You know what this kind of people should be invited uh, to speak at different skeptical events Mm. because imagine that if a health minister spoke at a skeptical event uh, talking about how they try to tackle this madness that that is going on around the world yeah apparently he he is a person who knows what's going on he understands what going what's going on and he's he can still be a politician and understand the problems and try to solve them that's a good example, I think. I'm not saying he's a skeptic. I don't know anything about him. But uh, his actions are pretty much liked by most of the skeptics. Okay. I think we've run out of things to discuss uh, in terms of news items this week. So I'm really interested in knowing whom you managed to find to be really wrong, Pontus. Yeah, I think you'll find this a very deserving person. Uh, if you're in the UK, you should watch out for Jeanette Wilson. Jeanette Wilson is a UK-born New Zealander and former banker who, who has turned quote-unquote psychic healer and a TV personality as well. She what is, a career. Yes, and she's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's currently touring UK. She's back in the UK and touring in an extremely packed itinerary with around 60 appearances in about two months uh, ending I believe on 1st of September and boy does she play the full enchilada she can channel ghost doctors that helps her help you get rid of your arthritis scar tissue chronic pain and the need to wear glasses and a lot of other stuff she says she's never met a case of arthritis that she couldn't completely reverse she is anti-vax, of course. She's anti-5G. Uh, her treatments usually involve her, you have to buy her, quote, magic purple powder, which is what she calls it. Uh, in reality, it is called rice powder. And it's, she sells that for £85 per bottle. She has psychic surgery shows. She has Reiki courses and a spirit surgery workshop. Uh, <laughs> On her UK website, she sells healing audio MP3s and books, (laughs) something called 
PXP Royal, which doesn't say what it is, uh, and it, there's no specification what's in it, but it's 127 pounds for 90 servings. So I guess it's some sort of supplement or something like that. She was recently on camera saying, and I quote, she would only talk off camera about the best thing for scar tissue, uh, that because that was what they discussed. That's not how it works. You shouldn't say on camera that you will make illegal claims as soon as the camera is turned off. So I don't know how skillful she is when it comes to regulations. But it could, all, it could also mean that, uh, I'm not going to say it right now, come to my gatherings uh, for this and that price and I will tell you. Yeah, but this was actually at one of those gatherings. So uh, Okay, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, okay, okay. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah. So anyway, she has a really busy schedule uh, going on in the UK until September, sometimes giving two shows per day. And wouldn't it be nice if some of the local skeptics could show up outside the venues to inform the public what an absolutely horrible practice she runs? Yeah. Mm, yeah. That would be great. Pe- people hate confrontations, though. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but it, it doesn't have to be a confrontation. And some of the skeptics across the UK, and I don't think it's, it's um, uh, restricted to the UK either, uh, but they have shown that it works. That that, that and and Americans yeah. and and look at look at what Susan Gerbic did uh, with with Mark Edward and on on several. But it occasions takes a well. special kind of personality. It's a very very difficult thing yeah. to do. But I'm pretty sure like, that in all all local groups there are these special kinds of people. Yeah. Hopefully. No, but it's it's right. It's they just a, need to know about it. Yeah, but it's a delicate thing, and and it, it's, I, know, I think it's, it's it's more effective to be polite and nice about it. It just you know. This is what we know. These are the facts. Here you go. Yep. Maybe have a flyer or something. Exactly. It's been done in yeah. the past. Yes. Don't stand and shout horrible words at people. <laughs> that that doesn't work. That just creates a conflict and nobody listens to that anyway. Yeah. So, Jeanette Wilson, so-called psychic healer and a fraud, gets today's prize for being really wrong. Yeah. Well, and that's putting it mildly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you you could you could um, start a new new one that is called re- really evil. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll come up with something. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know the 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 thing is that there is a difference between being wrong, making honest mistakes, and being evil and being cynical. And being wrong is one thing. Yeah, yeah. it's very hard to see uh, to to imagine that uh, Jeanette Wilson is doing all of this stuff. And still believes in all of it herself. That, that yeah, seems very she does incredible. It in good faith, yeah. No. Of you, you, <laughs> yeah, you, you can't know what's going on in people's heads, but that that seems very, but, but very. But after unlikely. a while, yeah. But after a while, you s- start to see uh, a pattern emerging, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it's it's probably just a money making scheme. Yeah, seems like yeah. it. Well, all right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And we are coming closer and closer to the end of the show but uh, as usual we cannot finish the show without a good quote presented by Elena. I have a quote from Claude Bernard who was a French uh, physiologist uh, who helped establish the principles of experimentation in the life sciences. He said the great experimental principle then is doubt 
that philosophic doubt which leaves the mind its freedom and initiative, and from which the virtues most valuable to investigators in physiology and medicine are derived. And also this can be said about other things, not just physiology and medicine, I think. That's right, about uh, science in yeah. general, yeah. You have, to, you have to doubt and question what you... Well, everything really, until you're really, really certain. And even theoretically in science, you're never absolutely certain. You just yeah. take away the... the... I, it, there's always degree of probability, right? Yes, it's right. But at some point, you can pretty much say, okay, this seems very, very true. And uh, it would be very, very surprising. But until you're there, you have to doubt it. You have to question it and test it and test it and test it. And be always ready to admit that you are really wrong. <laughs> when when, when or, you are. Or Pontus will tell you that you are really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You bet I will. Yeah, admit it yourself or else. <laughs> yeah. Pontus, you're, you're, you're the one that just um, handing out the slaps in the face. Yeah. yeah. Beware. But I think it's time for us to conclude the show. And uh, let me thank uh, both of you, Yalama and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Well, thank you, guys. As always, fun <laughs> I'd like to thank our listeners as well uh, for tuning in. Please keep doing so. Until next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Paka-paka. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rubb and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Yes, however <laughs> Why don't you? Yes, time, time out <laughs> Oh, sorry I forgot, sorry, we I were know. supposed yeah. to mention a few things before we got going Yeah, 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 okay So, um, delete that <laughs> I think I am just a second Oh, this is gonna be this is this is very good radio. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so synchronizing our calendars on the show. Exactly, exactly on yeah. the show. Jelena, for you, it's oh, in I'm telling you, we, we, early uh, morning. No, no, don't talk to me. Okay, don't talk to me. <laughs> all right. Okay. No, it's ah, oh, we just hope it. No, doesn't. Okay, matter. all right, good. Let's go on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on, shall we? No, but talk to me. Ha, 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 ha.